You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Hour two on this Wednesday. It's got to be better than hour one. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. Glad to have you on board. We'll talk to Commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred. He'll join us coming up. Chris Mannix has to pay up on a bet. He'll join me a little bit later on this hour. Marv Albert is not going to Orlando to broadcast the games there in the bubble for health reasons. So we'll talk to Marv Albert. He'll join us coming up as well. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. McLovin, the poll question from the first hour. If uh, you could have MLB season go down to 100 games, would you like that? And 60% say yeah. Well, well, they're down to 60 and there's going to be a sprint here. He's the commissioner, uh, Rob Manfred, who joins us now. Commissioner, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, I, if I take you back to mid-March and I give you a, a mulligan, a do-over, knowing what you know, what would you do differently? Well, um, I, I think that um, the agreement that we reached in March with the players would have looked very different. I think one of the difficulties that we encountered is, you know, we try to be proactive, try to get an agreement that addressed the situation. Um, and frankly, it, it, the situation evolved differently than, than we expected and um, made the subsequent negotiation um, difficult for us. I think. Give me a specific of what you would have put in or taken out. Well, I, I just think that, um, we would have been more explicit about um, the need for subsequent negotiation. I mean, I think the agreement was clear um, that um, it contemplated playing in um, stadiums with fans. Um, We took the, uh, we had no obligation to play unless we could play with fans and, and the players understood that. We thought it made clear that there would have to be a discussion of playing empty. I think I just would have written the words, you know, if um, we're going to play empty, there needs to be another negotiation. I think that negotiation probably would have gone a little differently had we done that. But, you know, hindsight's perfect, you know. How would you rate the job that you did? Like where we are right now that we're starting spring training again and we got 60 games? Look, I think the most important thing to our fans is um, that we're going to make every attempt to get the game back on the field. Um, You know, I know some people um, have talked about longer seasons, 60 too short. The reality is, the reality is we weren't going to play more than 60 games, no matter how um, the negotiation with the players went or any other factor, 60 games, is the outside of the envelope given the realities of the virus. And, you know, I think this is the one thing that um, we come back to every single day. Um, We're trying to manage something that has proven to be unpredictable and unmanageable. Um, I know it hasn't looked particularly pretty in spots, um, but but having said that, um, if we can pull off this 60-game season, I think it was the best we were going to do for our fans um, given the course of the virus. But even if the players accepted everything you offered, there was no way that you would have gone to 80 games. It was still going to be 60. I, well, it, it's the calendar. Dan. I mean, yeah. We're playing 60 games in 63 days right now. I don't see, given how the reality of the health situation over the past few weeks – how we were going to get going any faster than than, um, 
than the calendar we're on right now, no matter what the state of those negotiations were. And yet, you know, look, um, we, we did get a suboptimal result um, from the negotiation in some ways. You know, we didn't, um, the fans aren't going to get an expanded postseason, which I think would have been good with the shortened season. And, you know, look, the players left real money on the table. They left $25 million worth of playoff pools, $33 million worth of salary advances. But that's what happens when you have a negotiation that instead of being collaborative gets, you know, into sort of a conflict situation. How many owners didn't want to resume the uh, season? I think um, if you gave everybody truth serum, there were one or two um, that were opposed to the idea of playing um, for health reasons. Um, the vast, vast majority uh, of our owners wanted to play. And I think from the perspective of the owners, um, they're making an investment, you know, in terms of additional losses um, in order to get the game back on the field because we feel it's important to have the game back on the field. We owe it to our fans. I'm glad you mentioned the 60 games because a source told me, and I told this audience, I don't know how many days ago, is last week or maybe 10 days ago, that it was going to be 60 games. That was what was agreed to. No matter what the negotiations were going on, the 60 games, that was etched in stone. But, you know, you had to have an, a, a hard out of when you were going to be playing the, the, uh, the World Series, the playoff games. Uh, well, is that well, fair? Um, I, I think that um, everybody has certain things that y you accept um, as really good advice. One of the pieces of advice we received early on from um, – the medical experts, the pandemic experts that we've been working with is that um, by the end of September, the risk of another spike and a shutdown was going up dramatically. Given that, um, one of our guiding principles, we were going to finish no later than September 27th, which was the scheduled date, and we were going to play the postseason on its, on its normal calendar. Um, given um, that hard end date, what I said about the calendar before in the 60 games, if you look around the country, okay, there was no place or no possibility of us resuming operations um, either in home markets or in spring training facilities at a materially earlier time than, than July 1. It just was not consistent with the public health situation. If you have to pause the season, yes. how long can you pause this season? Um, you know, I don't have um, a, a firm number of days in mind. I, I think the way that I think about it, Dan, is um, – on the in the vein of competitive integrity right in a 60 game season if we have a team or two that's you know really decimated for um with the number of uh people who have the virus and can't play for you know any significant period of time it can have a real impact on the competition and we have to think very very hard about what we're doing if somebody tests positive uh brian cashman the yankee gm said the teams can't announce if they tested positive. So how do they go on the injury report? What's the designation there, Commissioner? They're just going to be reported as being on the injured list like any other injured player. Um, you know, look, the, 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 we're, I want to be really clear about this. Um, this is not a, 
lack of transparency issue. It is what's allowed by federal law. Yeah. You're yeah. not allowed to be out there talking about somebody else's medical condition without their permission. Um, you know, I, I think that um, the reality in an everyday game is that people are going to kind of figure out what's going on when somebody's not present. No, I understand what you're saying. I just didn't know what baseball, what, it, you know. Yeah, no, we're just going to report them like it, 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 as if they're an injured player like any other injured and unable to play player. He's the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, joining us. I, I'm not sure how to describe your personality here today. I mean, you, exasperated, defeated, uh, drained, uh, I don't, I don't I don't feel any of those things, Dan, really. I really don't. Um, you know, I'm hopeful is what I am. Um, okay. I, I'm hopeful and I'm realistic. I'm hopeful that we're going to uh, be able to give the game um, back to our fans. And I'm realistic about the challenges that we face going forward. Uh, the designated hitter. National League, is it here to stay or is this a trial? Look, I think it's a really important trial is the way I would say it, Dan. I think that um, it, 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 this year, um, for all the bad things about it, I think it does give us an opportunity. It has given us an opportunity to do something we've never been able to pull off before. We got uh, a lot of support, both in the American and National League, for the idea that at least in these circumstances, it made really good sense to use a designated hitter in both leagues. We'll see how our fans react. We'll see how the clubs react. But, it, it, you know, it's a really uh, nice opportunity to maybe get us to a situation where we, we have a single set of rules for both leagues. And then the extra inning uh, starting in the 10th with the runner on second base? Yeah, I, I'm not sure um, that we're prepared to abandon um, – extra inning baseball permanently. I think in the context of a pandemic, when the amount of time that the players are together is an important consideration, the idea of playing 18 inning games just didn't make a lot of sense. But again, um, I have always liked this rule. You and I have talked about it before. Um, I've talked to, to you about the fact that we used it during the WBC and it, it, it can be really exciting. It can make for a very exciting end of the game. And, um, it, you know, it was kind of hoisted on us by the pandemic in terms of using it in the major leagues. Gives us an opportunity to let our fans see it and see whether they like it in practice. Yeah, I understand with the, the, the short shortened season and the schedule and the number of games and days that you don't want to, you know, 14, 15 inning game uh you know, trying to do back-to-back games. I, I understand that. I'm, I'm for the DH. I grew up in a National League city, but I understand where we are and adding more excitement here. Um, so I could see where you would probably... Are, how many... If I said right now, how many owners would want this and would the uh, Baseball Players Association vote for this, for the DH? How do you think that would turn out? The Players Association has historically been in favor of the universal DH. Um I think most American League owners are obviously in favor of the designated hitter rule. That's their game. Um, I think what's happened in recent years is you have more and more National League owners who are open to the idea. Let me go back to the extra innings thing for, for just a second. Um, you, you know, and I want to, I think this is important. Um, one of the things that we've done from a health perspective is try to minimize the amount of time our players are together. And that was really the driving issue on extra inning games. You know, you play an 18 inning game, it makes for a very, very long day in the dugout, in a clubhouse, in a relatively confined area. So, you know, that one was really a pandemic driven rule more than anything else. You have uh, 
keeping everybody safe, replacing the baseballs. There's no spitting. Uh, you can't argue with the umpire, I'm guessing. Uh, mm-hmm. Can't be if somebody throws inside. Inside, you can't go to the mound. And I, I mean, these. <laughs> how are you going to police this? Uh, look, I, I, I think that um, as with any um, set of rules, the most important thing is self-policing. Um, you know, I think the players understand. Uh, that these protocols are necessary to keep them safe and keep the, the, the game going. Um, we are going to be constantly and closely monitoring adherence to the protocols. Um, but I, I will say, um, I talked to a number of clubs yesterday as players are reporting, and you know, I was really heartened by the fact that um, it kind of uniformly what clubs are saying is, Players have been great about this. They have masks on. You don't have to tell them to wear them when they're off the field. They're doing the right thing. And, and that's good. That's good because there is no – you don't have enough policemen to, you know, make sure everybody's doing the right thing. You have to rely on the fact uh, that, that we educate the players, explain to them why we're doing what we're doing, and they self-police. Would you be in favor of shortening the season? As we move forward, no, I, I, you know, not materially. I mean, I've always been open to the idea that you know, within the historical bounds, which I see is one fifty four to one sixty two. You know, depending on what we were doing with playoff formats and, and whatever, that that I would be open to that kind of adjustment, but not a a, a material adjustment. Look, a, a big part of our game, and and one of the biggest hurdles that we had to get over from a competitive perspective in terms of putting a 60 game season out there. There's a huge competitive difference between a 60 game sprint and a 162 game marathon. It's kind of like saying, you know, uh, would you be in favor of making the New York marathon 13 miles? I think the answer is no, right? No, then I could run it. (laughs) Well, you could, I couldn't. (laughs) What about how, how does seating work in the dugout? Um, we're going to, uh, there are going to be actual markings in the dugout that will lay out the social distancing and, and during the period of time, um, which may be, you know, the whole season where we're not having fans in the stands, we're actually going to expand outside the physical dugout itself. Use some of the front rows of the stands. What are you doing the rest of the day? What I'm doing the rest of the day um, is um, more Zoom calls. I have the club president's group today. I've, I've tried to, you know, communicate um, on a very consistent basis with the important groups in the industry, the control people, meaning the 30 owners, the general managers, the the, um, club presidents, and I've had regular calls with them. Today's President's Day. um, And, you know, a lot, this this will be a very busy call because there's a lot of operational issues that um, we need to review and and make sure the clubs are on board on. You know, I said to the clubs after we announced the, season that, um, you you know, there's been all this activity in terms of the negotiation and whatnot in terms of getting back on the field. Um, But but now we return to the more normal um, situation in our game. This is about what the clubs are doing. And so communicating with them in this unique situation, really important. I know it's only one year, but I really feel bad for these minor leaguers and these minor league cities that, uh, you know, they got crushed here, Commissioner. They did. And, and look, I, I want to be 
um, as clear about this as possible. Um, we think minor league baseball is an important part of not just our business, but of the fabric um, of American life. And the dis it was simply impossible um, to do enough testing um, and to get protocols in place in 160 minor league cities and provide any assurance, mm -hmm. any assurance um, that we could keep those players safe. And I, 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 while it's disappointing, and I too, I feel bad for the minor league operators and the minor league players, um, what happened here with this season, I think is the most concrete demonstration of the fact that we have put player safety first in terms of the decisions we've made. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, Commissioner. Good luck. All right. Thanks, Dan. That's uh, Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball Commissioner. And I mentioned this, that I thought that they'd agreed to 60 games, and they knew what they were going to lose. But getting into the postseason, as the commissioner said, look, they think there's going to be another spike coming up here, and they just have to be hoping and praying. They don't care about the regular season. They care about the playoffs here and getting the playoffs in in time. But as you heard him say, and my source told me this, whatever, two weeks ago, they were set on 60 games. That's why when the Players Association would come back with another number, I'm going, they're not going to budge. The owners agreed that 60 games, how much we're going to lose, now how much money can we make in the postseason? And you had a couple of owners. I think some people said it was maybe four owners, four to six, and I was told one to two, and that's exactly what he said. One to two owners did not want to resume the season. Yes, Tom. The commissioner said the calendar was going to, it was going to end up having to start around this time anyway, but if they came to this agreement of 60 games a lot sooner, they couldn't have started the baseball season closer to uh, April or May, that it would have to be all the way to July like this? I don't know if they wanted to. I, I go back to what I was told. This felt scripted. And I think it was. I think it is. You got a, a designated time to get all of this in. You, you guys are going to lose money here in these 30 home games that you're not going to have without fans, and you're going to get some money with the postseason. I think that's how this played out. Your phone calls are coming up 19 after the hour. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. I thought it was a good idea to put Marvin and Mario on TV during the commercial breaks. I think it's still a good idea to have Marvin and Mario be on TV on YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. By the way, big German birthday today. Yay. Yay. Big German, who is the director. He didn't start out as the director. He was the guy who helped. He, he was like the um, construction manager here. Yeah. What, what do you call it? Uh, Foreman, general contractor? GC. GC. Studio manager-ish. That was his job. He was here because we had three months to build this man cave. And uh, Eric Von Scrutum, he would be here every day <laughs> getting all of these workers in here. And he did a wonderful job. And then all of a sudden, I said, you know what? We got cameras. We got everything. But we don't have a control room. So he went out, got a control room. He installed that. 
And then I said, well, I don't have a director. He goes, I can direct. I said, all right, well, who does graphics? I don't know. And he just pointed at Dylan. And Dylan had been getting our breakfast. And I go, sure. Why not? Who's going to monitor, you know, the social media? Well, Tyler can. Sure. I don't even know what Tyler did other than smoke cigarettes before he did that. He would just show up and smoke heaters. But he was great at that. He was. And a very nice guy. And then Mario. What did Mario do before he started doing? He was uh, the breakfast intern. And he well, he was also uh, he was the what Marvin is currently doing. Oh, okay. He sort of shuffled over roles. There okay. A little bit. So Marvin can aspire to be Mario at, at one. Point. That's his career path. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, Fourth of July sale. DanPatrick.com. Fifteen percent off all T-shirts for a limited time through Sunday. Use the promo code July Fourth at checkout. Promo code July 4th, danpatrick.com, 15% off t-shirts now through Sunday. People want to know about Cam uh, Chata, and uh, we're still working on those. You can order those. We haven't actually physically gotten a shipment of Cam Chata t-shirts, but uh, not yet. no, not yet. We got to get them and get them out quickly before we get a cease and desist from somebody. It feels like we know we have a really good T-shirt when we get a cease and desist. We're like, yes, I think that's the name of the uh, LLC. <laughs> the cease, cease and, and desist, desist LLC. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Some phone calls in here. Uh, Justin in Colorado joining us on the program. Hi, Justin. What's on your mind? Hey, doing, fellas. Five foot five, one ninety. Definitely want to talk to you guys a little bit about the Wizards. OK, y'all blasphemed against <laughs> us yesterday. And and so we got on Twitter and said started talking to McLovin. But uh, for me personally, I know that maybe the wins and losses haven't always been good, but the Wizards have always been an entertaining team. We went from C-Webb and Juwan, God, Sham God, to Michael Jordan, to Gilbert Arenas and all the drama that that was, to Swaggy P and JaVale McGee, and then we got John Wall in 2010. So, and since then, we've been like a perennial four seed. So, you know... Don't don't come after the DC family like. Oh that. no no I would not mess with the Wizards fan. Oh he said plural I thought it was just Wizard fan there. Wow yeah. yes McLovin. I agree on the entertaining. I sent this clip of Marcin Gortat getting crossed over by Steph Curry. That was really entertaining. And it he was. Did, he it was. Come back after that. Yeah, see. By the way, that Wizards fan was calling from Colorado. Yeah. It's kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's a hotbed out there. A hotbed of fans. Yeah. Got a big big group there. Yeah, that bar they get together in. Yeah. Don't go after Wizards Nation. No, don't want that. No way. I like how the team's entertaining. You know when a team's really entertaining? When they win. There were some characters in that list. Oh, yeah. Kevin Arenas was good content for a long time. Hey, bringing a gun to work day. I mean, I always like that. I don't remember. God Sham God landed there. I, I, I don't remember what happened to him after Providence. Wow. No, I mean, I wasn't being mean. I honestly didn't. Uh, Ryan in South Carolina joining us. Hey, Ryan, what do you have for me? Good morning, Dan. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling because uh, yesterday I celebrated my uh, my fifth year of sobriety. And the reason I wanted to share this with you was because about a year ago, you know, I was in a really dark place. I'm an Air Force veteran, and I had sustained a couple herniated discs in my neck, and they went diagnosed, misdiagnosed for about five years. Well, last May you talked about, uh, you opened up about um, your depression um, on air because of the prednisone that they had offered you. And uh, I happened to be listening that day, and um, and I had just been offered my own regimen, uh, prednisone regimen, and 
if I hadn't heard what you said that day on the air, as someone who, uh, who suffers from severe depression already, I don't know if I'd be here today. And uh, I just really wanted to share that with you because it was uh, it's really important to me. That's awesome, Ryan. And I hope you stay in touch, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I have a uh, I have a four year old. I'm celebrating my fifth year of sobriety, and so I, I just I thank you so damn much. Uh, stay on hold, Ryan. Uh, Marvin's going to get information here. I want to send you a care package, but uh, thank you for sharing, and and I'm glad when more people share. Uh, was it last May when I said that? I forgot. Yeah, about 13 months ago. Yeah, I forgot all about. It. But. Uh, yeah, you know, the reaction, and people have sent in some things, and people ask for, uh, there's a couple of things back there that uh, I got that people want pictures just to say, you know, hey, I'm with you. Uh, a couple of people who have gone through some uh, tough times battling depression, and you just want to make sure, uh, sure somebody's on the other end. That's all. Somebody's listening. Somebody's willing to listen. Somebody, don't, they don't even have to talk, just listen. And uh, that's what a lot of people who go through this uh, feel. And man, it, it can be lonely. I will say this. You know who stays in touch with me constantly? Jay Glazer. Constantly checking on me. And I think Jay has battled that as well. And he, he checks in on me all the time. You know, I heard from on Father's Day, Patrick Ewing. He's the one that got covid and I reached out to him. I said, you know, stay in touch. Let me know how you're feeling. And he reached out on Father's Day and he said, just thinking about you. I hope you're doing well. And uh, no, I, I really appreciate that. And the people who have you know, said things, responded, thank you. Uh, but there are far braver people, people going through tougher things than I went through. But that prednisone, if it can be a miracle. But man, there's a price to pay. It certainly was with me. It took away all the pain. <laughs> if it takes away all the pain, there has to be something bad about it. It just does. And it took away all the pain. And then all of a sudden, you just start going through mood swings, and you're going, who am I? What the hell? And then you throw in the light chemo I was doing. I was walking around. I was a Molotov cocktail. It was like, I don't I showed up. Probably these guys had no idea who was coming into work. Be like, uh, I don't know. Is he okay? Can you talk to him? Is he cheery? Yeah, Paul. Well, the weird part was when your when your pain was acting up, you'd walk in and you were very creaky, kind of that Phil Jackson walk. Mm. And I'm not making fun of him, saying that's. And then we knew you were going to be tough because you were in actual pain. Then the days you came in all spring in your step, you're like, you're. We we thought, oh, that's great. He's having a great day. Yeah. But there were days when my wife tied my shoes. There were days we had to move all my clothes down to the basement because I couldn't climb steps. That sounds like Todd's house. I know. (laughs) (laughs) 50 years. His wife ties his shoes. Yes. But I. Again, something I say in confidence. In the old man cave where I had to walk up those back steps and I, I labored, labored. But I will say once I got in that we focused on working. And I think that I thank God I had that outlet. You know, and not not all these people do. So, uh, I, Ryan, good luck with that. We appreciate you uh, sharing that. Doug in North Carolina joins us. Hi, Doug. What do you have for me? Well, uh, Dan, a couple of weeks ago, I called in and I spread some love on Fritzy, and I was hoping to follow that up. If you have 20 seconds, I would like to present what I have constructed, what I call Ode to Todd. If you have 20 seconds, oh, I'd like to present of, Well, of course. We'll make way for okay. Here's Doug in North Carolina, the Ode to Todd sonnet. 
They said I was drunk, perhaps tipsy, when I said the heart and the soul was fritzy. He's the funniest one in the room, although we're laughing because he can't use tongs or sweep with a broom. A modern-day chaplain better than a Keaton, but in public I'd rather be seen with Seaton. But Todd, Mr. Fritzy, you're my radio hero, and I don't give a damn about Scott Shapiro. Wow. Well done, Doug. Well done, Doug. There you go, Todd. Todd, Doug, poem. Doug's the one that had you as the heart and soul of this program. That was very, very kind that he took the time to write a poem and put his thoughts into a, a verse like that. Very creative, very cool. Thank you, Todd. Yes, Paul. Todd would rather be the buys and tries of this program than a heart and soul, if you really I would. Mm. <laughs> and, and, be, and, be, and be 25 pounds lighter. He's the buys and tries buys of this Buys and tries. It's not as common, but that's, that's where you, the girls see that. They don't see under the shirt. They see the buys and tries. It's a very valid point. But when you started working on your arms, at any point did you say, maybe I need to do, how about a shoulder, day of shoulders? There were a couple of people at the gym that may make a little comment. Okay. Or I'm just curious. There. And I said, that's all right. I'm going to just keep doing bicep curls. Thanks. Yeah. It's like the comedy thing. Oh, I got this. I got everybody laughing or not. And uh, you just I don't do, really need anybody writing jokes. You just it. do biceps, not triceps. I do a little triceps, but I would say 97% biceps. And then once in a while, I'll do that pull-down machine, you know, that it kind of hits the triceps a yeah. little bit. But, uh-huh. uh, but they'll do that real quick, and then I'll go right back to a bicep curl. Chris Mannix is going to join us. Uh, I was going to talk to him about the bubble and uh, get his thoughts about a couple other things. But it was brought to my attention by Mario that we had a bet years ago when the Cavs had, they had the number one pick and they took Anthony Bennett and we had Mannix on. And I, I said, Victor Oladipo was the guy that I would have gone with. And then Mannix doubled down and said he would have taken Ben McLemore over Victor Oladipo. (laughs) And we of course have that audio because we save all things that Mannix says. So we'll play that for him when we come back. Phone calls, And uh, I'm curious what this audience thought of the commissioner. Because I I do think that he is a little more honest than most commissioners I've dealt with. Um, But I do think that they had a plan and they were not deviating from that plan. 60 games. Oh, I wanted to mention the Arizona baseball team, uh, AZ643. They are a nationally ranked baseball team. And uh, they're celebrating um, as best they can now. And uh, just want to give a shout out to them that uh, they listen to the show. They watch the show. And uh, one of the parents, Ted, is a good friend of mine and his son, Ryan. It's his birthday today as well. So uh, congratulations to you guys. Uh, We'll take a break. Back after this with Chris Mannix. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Diana Rossini of The Mothership got ties to the Patriots. She had a tweet. I spoke over text with an AFC East head coach on Cam Newton and the Patriots. Quote, I think they're going to keep three quarterbacks, use Cam Newton perhaps as the wild card. I actually don't see him starting week one in the offense. I know one thing for a fact, the Patriots love Jarrett Stidham. So, it's Diana Rossini. So, now, by the way, if he's good, the Patriots can franchise him. So imagine you get him for a bargain and then you franchise him if they want to. 
Oh, it was back in 2013, uh, Ariel doing a little bit of work for a change. And uh, he noticed that uh, I went back and forth with Chris Mannix. And we were talking about the 2013 draft. The Cavaliers had the number one pick. And uh, Anthony Bennett out of UNLV, um, he was the kind of guy that I could watch UNLV play and not know he was on the floor. But he kind of came out of nowhere, and he was a hot prospect, and the Cavs were uh, you know, going to take him number one overall. This is how it sounded 2013 here on the Dan Patrick Show. Yeah, I don't know about the pick, but you know, coming off shoulder surgeries, packed on 2025 20, pounds. Who would, you, who would you have picked? Uh, I would have taken Oladipo. Oh, you're, you're crazy. You're, 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 I want you to somebody save this recording and save that one because Oladipo, to me, I, I think he's overrated. Uh, I really do. I mean, I, I think he's a good player if you're picking in the 10 to 12 range, but uh, the fact that Orlando passed up on Ben McLemore for Victor Oladipo just boggles my mind. Okay, wait a minute. I'll, how about we have a bet for dinner? Who becomes an all-star first, Anthony Bennett or Victor Oladipo? I'll even take you one step further. I'll say Ben McLemore or Victor Oladipo. No, no, no. I'm not... Oh, no, no, just our bet. So uh, Chris Mannix never paid up on the bet, but Mannix joins us now. Mannix, got anything to say? You know, there are occasions that I make good predictions. When? Like, when? May not, none come to mind <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> By the way, your T-shirt says Spain is stacked. That goes back to another one of your great predictions. You were anti-American back then when you said Spain was going to take the gold medal, I think, right? I just feel like the U.S. <laughs> team back in 2012 was being given the magic carpet ride to the gold medal. You had to watch out for the Gasol brothers. That's all I was trying to say. Paulie, Spain is stacked. I mean, they're a team with, you know. <laughs> Paulie, do we have any moments where Mannix had a good prediction? Not yet. Okay. All right. Well, there's still time. Still time, Chris. Uh, but yeah, if you want to pay up on, on dinner sometime, if we get a chance to uh, get together. And you know what? How about you just ship some steaks there and then I'll have dinner here and you have dinner there. So we'll have dinner together. Yeah, we could all. Vermont is open, Dan. We oh. can come on up and we'll. <laughs> all cheaper. Right. Uh, so we're getting closer to the bubble. And, and as Paulie used the analogy, it's like when you're getting married. Like you get engaged and then you spend all this time of you know flowers and you got to have a rehearsal dinner and all that. That's what the NBA has been doing. Now they're getting ready to down, walk down the aisle here. Uh, now there are real concerns here. How confident are you that this that that we have an NBA champion this year? I'm fairly confident we will have an NBA champion this year. I, at this point, I have no idea what that process is going to look like. I think it's unavoidable to have significant players shut down because of the coronavirus. I think it might be unavoidable to have an entire team decimated because of the spread of coronavirus. This isn't just conjecture, Dan. As someone that covers boxing, I'm watching what top rank is going through in Las Vegas, in Nevada, which is one of the best commissions in sports in, in the States, and they're dealing with fighters dropping out left and right. So I look at that as evidence, and I see 150 people in a top-ranked boxing bubble versus 1,000-plus in an NBA bubble, and I just have to assume that you're going to have outbreaks. The question is going to be, what's the NBA's breaking point? At what point will they say, look, we've got to shut it down for two weeks, we'll pick it back up again, but this has to stop. 
Yeah, I wonder about the help. Those who come in and clean, those who are cooking, like that, those people aren't, you know, they're not sequestered here. They're not uh, quarantined. And I wonder not. about that, though, Chris. It's a fair question to wonder. And I mean, look, if the NBA's got that hotline set up, which is basically a rat line. Like you're just trying to, you know, rat on people that are, are breaking violations. That's going to happen. I mean, I, I just. I just can't imagine young people abiding by quarantine rules every hour of every day. I just can't imagine that ultimately happening. So you've got to try to police that as best you can, but that's another potential entry point or or possibility of having some kind of infection pass into that bubble. It really, we have to stop, I have to stop calling it a bubble. It's not a bubble, not with this many people going in and out of it. The Nets you know, what kind of concerns do you think the league has of them actually fielding a team to go to Orlando? They'll field a team, but it's gotten kind of goofy in Brooklyn, at least in the mind of some of the people I've talked to at the league level. Like there are things you obviously understand. You understand Avery Bradley dealing with a family issue, Trevor Reza, a custody issue, even to be frank, Davis Bertans, who is on a team that's not going to win anything saying, you know what? I got a, 10 to $12 million per year contract coming my way this offseason. I'm not risking it to go there. But you have Nets players in DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, that are effectively ruling themselves out of Orlando before the team even travels to Orlando. That's something I think the league has has something of a problem with. Nobody's denying that they're dealing with stuff right now, but you know, evidence shows you know, after a couple of weeks, players can get past this and get back onto the court. The Nets who are a team, by the way, that let's not forget, if they miss the playoffs, they keep their first-round pick. So, you know, a lot of people are wondering um, if that's in the mind of, of Brooklyn as they prepare to move forward. He's Chris Mannix, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. If I told you that a team that consisted of JaVale McGee, Dion Waiters, Rajon Rondo, and J.R. Smith would be competing for a championship this year, be the favorites for a championship this year. What would you have said? Well, uh, you, you, I would said you're nuts. But you'd have had to have told me that LeBron and Anthony Davis were part of that as well. I mean, it's. I look. I don't think Jr. is going to play. I mean, I, I look at the Lakers and there's some depth at that guard spot. I mean, Danny Green's a great playoff performer. You look at the plus-minus numbers, Dan. Alex Caruso and LeBron James play excellent together, and Caruso's had one of those quiet sort of semi-breakout seasons. Uh, in LA. JR to me is break glass in case of emergency. Like that's that's who you go to in case <laughs> another injury happens. The the McGee stuff though, like, you know, Rob Palenka spoke yesterday and we still don't know the status of Dwight Howard yet. And mm-hmm. it, it's amazing, but Dwight Howard will be a huge loss for the Lakers. I mean, he was an 18 to 25 minute per game type of guy that was playing excellent this year. So if he can't go, that takes away some of the Lakers' interior strength. It forces Anthony Davis to play out of position more than he wants to. That, to me, is just as significant a question uh, as Avery Bradley. Any star players bailing, aside from the ones that we've met? I mean, true star players. I know they have concerns, but is any anybody bailing? No, not that I know of. And, you know, it's the kind of thing you check in with teams with all the time. But uh, at least at the very highest of levels, uh, it's all systems are go for those top-level players. I do believe from talking to, to different agents and teams that there are still some you know, mid-level role type players for different reasons that are considering uh, not going, but the, the highest of level guys, uh, they are, are all still going. You think we're starting in four weeks? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think, yeah, I, 
I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in that quarantine period where NBA teams go down there and they're in Orlando, but they're not in the bubble, you know, just yet. And, you know, by the time the season starts, could we see a run on infections during the travel time when teams are down there? Uh, but I just, unless there is a massive outbreak, Dan, the NBA is going to start their season. I know it's cost them a lot of money to be down there. I heard, you know, Brian Windor say this the other day, but it is $150 million, $1.5 million per day to go down there. But they'd lose so much more if they didn't go through with this. They would have to effectively terminate their collective bargaining agreement. They'd have to start from scratch next year uh, because of all the losses. They're, they're almost too big to fail at this point. Thanks for being a good sport. We appreciate you giving us content. You know, thank you, Chris. Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm not going to be your your bubble uh, correspondent, Dan. You were too mean yesterday. How about a playoff prediction? Blazers, Sixers in the finals. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Okay. You. Uh, if you get one right, I'll wipe out the dinner bet. No, but you also have to go back to a previous bet where I get to host the show and you sit in Pauly's chair. Uh, yeah, I'd sit there and not do anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm that, I'm that confident. I, I, I mean, Paulie does it well. Every sure. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. Kills my, my, you got it, my bubble boy. That's Chris Mannix, senior writer, Sports Illustrated, joining us. Spain is stacked. Spain is stacked. That shirt is so good. It is. <sighs> it is good. All right. Yeah, I got some concerns there. But, uh, hey, maybe they can pull this off. By the way, uh, among the players drafted number one overall in the last decade, only Anthony Bennett and Zion Williamson have not scored at least 1,000 career points. Of course, Zion has only played 19 games. Anthony Bennett's career is over. Thank you. Stat of the day. Stat of the day. Stat of the day. Here comes that what? Stat of the day. All right, final hour. We'll talk to Marv Albert. The Hall of Fame voice of the NBA is not going to Orlando. Got health concerns. So we'll talk to Marv. More phone calls coming up as well. Two hours in the books. One more to go. Seton, Paulie, Fritzy, McLovin, yours truly, right here on the Dan Patrick Show.